Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a three-way conversation. This is going to be a really interesting one as well, because we have got on Nick Hudson and Michael Cavallo from Panda. So welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Zubi. Fantastic. So I've done a very brief intro right there. So let me give you both the opportunity to introduce yourselves. Well, I'm Michael Cavallo. I'm just basically a humble musician hailing from Toronto, Canada. I play guitar for a group called Manic Drive. Yeah, and I'm Nick Hudson from Panda. I, I live in Cape Town, South Africa. By day, I'm an investor, fairly dry and boring. Um, but for the last year, I've been putting together an organization called Panda, which um, was formed in informally in February last year when we started to notice a huge gap between what the data was telling us about coronavirus and what the media was telling us. And what started off as a group of friends around a glass of wine ended up as an international organization with members in, I think, something approaching 30 countries, hundreds of scientists who are all looking at this whole thing very differently from the conventional narrative. I hear you. So Panda was started February 2020. So what was it at that very early stage that made you made you think that there was a large discrepancy between what the data was showing? Well, the early data made a couple of things very clear. First of all, the, the fatality rate of the disease was not this Ebola-like monster that was being uh, presented to us. And then the other very noticeable thing was that it was a, a disease that mainly affected the elderly and those with severe comorbidities. And this was, you, you couldn't have made it more apparent. There was no data inconsistent with those two observations that ever emerged about this epidemic. And yet the media was telling a story of a deadly virus, a deadly new virus, and that the, a virus that we could only avoid by locking down and then later wearing masks and so on. And none of it comported with reality in any way, shape or form. And it, it has never done in our opinion. So we speak now of the entirely false COVID narrative. In other words, every single er element of the narrative as presented by media and these conflicted and corrupt public health officials is false. Simple as that. Wow. Okay. There's a lot there. So that's those are some very strong words there in terms of saying that everything is false. So can you go into that a little bit more, when, yeah. what you mean when you say that? Because I'm sure that's going to make some people's ears go up there. Sure. I mean, the, the narrative we've received 
is that there's a new deadly virus. Stop right there. First of all, this thing isn't really new. It's got incredible overlap with several viruses that have been in broad circulation in the human population for a very long time. And what that means is that the next part of the narrative, which is that we're all susceptible to this disease, is false. Approximately 80% of all people demonstrate prior immunity to the disease. Okay, so this narrative of a new virus to which we're all susceptible is false. Then, is it deadly? Well, yet yeah, it's deadly some of the time for people who are old and who have severe comorbidities. But the World Health Organization itself has published the mortality statistics that emerge when you take into account all the people who've been infected. And they can tell that by doing what are called seroprevalence studies. And when they, whenever they do those studies, they come out with how deadly this thing is that is much lower than what was originally spoken about by the World Health Organization back in March of last year. So they come out with an average number of 0.15% fatality rate if you're infected. But what that hides is the fact that for people under the age of 70, the mortality rate is, is on average 0.05%. So five in 10,000 people. And yet, if you ask the man in the street how dangerous this is, he says, no, if you get coronavirus, you've got a 10% or a 40% or a 50% chance of dying. Mm -hmm. They're out. The average person's out by a factor of a thousand in terms of how dangerous this is. And when you cut it another layer, instead of just looking at under 70s in general, if you take under 70s who are in normal health, people who do not have severe comorbidities, the infection fatality rate drops even further to the point where it's, you know, just nothing that anybody should be worried about. Yeah. And that, so that's the first part, the new deadly virus to which everybody is susceptible. The next part is the story that there's, there are no treatments. And that is wrong. There are treatments for this virus as for many others. And there are treatments which are effective. But the narrative has said exactly the opposite. And in fact, in some countries, it's virtually prohibited for people to be treated. And that is wrong. Yes. The story that the only way we can avoid this is by locking down and wearing masks, both those elements are wrong. When you look at the emergent data, what is very clear is that there is no statistical relationship between the stringency of a country's lockdown and its fatality rate. None. In fact, when you look at the most stringent measures, it turns out that there's a positive relationship. Mortality gets worse if a country applies stringent lockdown measures. It doesn't save any lives. Mm. On the masking, which is possibly the most absurd part of this whole story, again, look at all the real data, the population-level data. Look at what happens to the um, epidemic curves of countries that impose and lift mask mandates. No signal at all in that data. When you look at the randomized control trials that have done been done with coronavirus and with other respiratory viruses, you get no significant usage, uh, no significant relationship at all. There's no benefit in, in that data. What you've got driving this crazy story that a cloth mask protects you against a, a respiratory virus is a couple of very lame observational studies. The European CDC did a 
what's called a meta-analysis, where they review all the existing papers on uh, claiming either mask benefits or mask harms. And what they found was that the entirety of the papers were of low evidentiary standard, and something like two-thirds of them showed significant signs of bias by the authors. So the mask story is nonsense, and everybody knew that prior to coronavirus. In fact, on the World Health Organization's website, it says it says that the, there's, there's no evidence supporting the use of masks in the general population. And we haven't gotten to the end of it yet, because on comes another set of stories added to the narrative, that they are these deadly variants. Again, when you look at the immunological data, what you see is that the natural infection or prior immunity are both effective against the variants. We have very broad immune responses, and small changes in the virus don't actually cause the immune response to be evaded. To the extent that vaccines work, that will very likely be the case with the vaccines as well, that small mutations will not cause the virus to evade the vaccines. And then there's the story that somehow a tiny mutation on the spike protein of the virus has suddenly changed its clinical features so that it, you know, the, the one that we very commonly hear is suddenly now children are at risk. But in country after country where the public health institutions have spouted that story, what you see after the fact is that there's no change in the age distribution of people who are hospitalized or who die from the virus. And so, you know, it's just another example of completely misleading and false information from the public health institutions on a worldwide basis in a very consistent and almost coordinated fashion. In fact, I'll drop the word almost in a coordinated fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's the whole story from beginning to end that is well, false. That's a lot there. Yeah. So in terms of the data that you're looking at and interpreting this from, what do you think are the most, what are the most accurate and reliable forms of data that are out there? Because this is one of those situations where different people seem to have, obviously people have their own different opinions. But people also seem to be working with different, well, what are what are considered facts to them, right? So yeah. there are people who absolutely are adamant that masks make a significant difference. And they'll say, hey, look at these 10 studies, look at these 20 studies that have shown masks work, wear a mask, it absolutely works. And then you've also got people saying, hey, there is no conclusive data. I mean, I think when you look at it in terms of just actual policies from country to country or state to state and you see what was mandated and what was not, it certainly looks like, okay, I'm not seeing any correlation here. And most people don't do this even, but at this stage, it's not. I'm not seeing any clear correlation that masks or lockdowns make any significant difference in terms of the death rate. But in terms of your facts and data, what what sources are those coming from? Okay, so I mean, we work with pretty much the same data that's available to the people on the other side of the debate, mm-hmm. to the extent that there is a debate in these kind of really, really crazy times we live in now where, you know, you can't, you can't actually get these guys to sit down and engage in a discussion. And, and the reason for that is they know they haven't got support of the data and they know that you're going to sit down and you're going to point out their conflicts of interest, their corruption. So you won't get 
somebody coming and having an honest debate. That, that, that normal part of scientific discourse has just disappeared. But we're all pretty much using the same information, which is your official uh, series of uh, deaths and cases and so on. We also do quite a lot of primary research. So we will, we will look at um, data that's publicly available, but we will then process it and, and turn it into a useful format in a way that maybe public health, well, that definitely public health institutions are not doing. So, for example, when we come up with a series of analyses showing that there's no relationship between the evolution of the epidemic curve in masked counties or states or countries and the unmasked ones, we don't get somebody writing back to us and saying, oh, but you've made a mistake in your analysis or here's our analysis of the same thing that, sh that shows something else. We never get that. What we just get is a repeat, ref usually a reference to somebody like Anthony Fauci who says that they work, you know, who changed his mind yesterday, who previously said that they didn't work. Mm -hmm. And somehow, because of the huge grip that governments and a handful of downright evil individuals have over our media, the public has come to believe those people, to actually expect that they are basing their statements on evidence, but they are not. And why is this message so difficult to get out to people? Because what we've been witnessing over this past year and a half is, on multiple levels, it's very unprecedented. I know yeah. certainly in my lifetime, I think in, in all of our lifetimes, we haven't seen anything like this. We're in a mass hysteria, a moral panic on a global level. And there's only a small handful of places that seem to have maintained some semblance of sanity, even this far into the situation. Um, I'm here in the UK, but looking at lots of different countries all over Europe, the USA, um, with a few exceptions, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, various countries. And in, interestingly, many countries that sort of pride themselves on liberalism and freedom and liberty, all of a sudden have taken these extraordinarily authoritarian and draconian approaches to this whole thing, not just from a governmental standpoint either, but even amongst the general public, which to me is the sort of scarier part of it. I think a government is going to do what a government is going to do, but the sheer number of people who, even at this point, are still not really asking questions or seeing, really looking at the data and looking at the science or just even just being able to calm down now that the actual case numbers and death numbers and all of that has severely, severely dropped down from whatever was its peak. But we're still living in this uh, very strange situation where I feel like I'm mm. in a whole alternate reality to large swathes of the population. So uh, how have we gotten here? Well, I mean, you are in an alternate reality. And the question to ask is why? And, and you know, to your point, Florida and Texas have shown the way. They've been open for months, no mask mandates, no lockdowns. And that's the very basic data that every country in the world that persists with these ridiculous measures that were ex not expected to work and do not work, you know, every single one of those countries should be looking at Florida and Texas and all the people in those countries should be looking at Florida and Texas and saying, we need to kick these governments out. Mm -hmm. This is nonsense. This has to stop. You know, we've been fooled. But the, the question is, why are you in an alternative reality? 
authoritarianism starts with fear. And these programs of misinformation and propaganda, I mean, this is what it was, right? At the beginning, the Chinese CCP sent out just unbelievable armies of bots and human bots populating social media with these images of people falling in the streets and, you know, this deadly virus that almost killed people instantly, um, which we now all know to be false. But they did their job at the time. They scared the living daylights out of the majority of the population. Mm. There's a minority of people who, for a, a variety of reasons, which I think relate mainly to character and values, did not get scared. And those people retained their cognitive faculties and have been able to see through the nonsense that has been fed to people. So you live in the parallel or alternative universe because you were not scared. Mm, it's really interesting. It's so fascinating. I so, Someone commented on one of my tweets yesterday that conspiracy theorists are people who refuse to be brainwashed by the media, mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially yeah. what it is because – one of the most bizarre and frustrating aspects for me personally has been that everything I've been saying and advocating for and proposing is literally what I thought everybody believed back in January 2020, right? People are looking at me as if I'm the crazy one for not wanting to muzzle my face everywhere I go, even though I've already got immunity to this particular virus from having had it. And there's not great evidence showing that the masks do anything, especially outside. Um, and then just all these aspects of it, you know, and the, the authoritarianism, the trying to force people to do this or force people to do that. I mean, I don't remember anyone ever being called an anti-vaxxer for refusing to take a seasonal flu shot, right? All of a sudden, if someone ha is, is concerned or questioning or just simply does not need this new set of injections, then they're being labeled as if they're some sort of, I don't know, far-right conspiracy theorist, anti-vax lunatic. Whereas, you know, and nobody did that before. People are just doing so many things that they never did before. And that's the part of it that really, that really concerns me and freaks me out because I have a long memory. I remember what life was like prior to February 2020. And I remember, you know, not everybody was normal. But most people were pretty normal. If you went back then and you told people that the government was going to make it illegal to go outside or to hug your friends, see your family, they're going to try to force um, injections on you for a virus with a virtually 100% survival rate in your particular demographic, so on and so forth. They're going to ban, ban holidays, make it illegal to leave the country or block people. If you told people any of this back in January 2020... They would have called you the, the conspiracy theorist, right? Yeah. Like, you're insane. Yeah, That's yeah, impossible. Yeah. Maybe they can do that in China or North Korea, but they can't do that in the UK. That's not going to happen in Canada. Come on, man. You're, you're crazy. What do you mean? Well, and all of that has happened. And that, that's just it, Zubi. I think you and I share that similar experience of just being stopped in our tracks and just going, just questioning and challenging the narrative. And then I remember the TV screens, you know, it was so theatrical. It was so dramatized of the fear that was being uttered by social media, our news and so forth, that all I was doing was just, hey guys, can we step back? Can we just mm. question what's going on? And uh, maybe with you, Zuby, because I'm just an artist, I am not, you know, medicinally sound, I am not a scientist by any means, but I did have questions and every time I would have a question, it was immediately denial. Mm -hmm. Like I was always shut off, like, yep. what do you know? Or it sometimes slammed. 
what do you know? You're not a doctor. You have no academics to to back your your statements. And then it became a political thing. How the heck did this become political? Like I I would define myself as a pretty liberal guy. I've, I've never put much stocks in politics to, to begin with, but all of a sudden I've been categorized in my in my yep. Ottawa, yep. ideological thing, <laughs> just saying, hey man, I, I just want to have some questions, create some dialogue, debate, which I think is essential more than ever mm-hmm. uh, during a topic such as this. So that that is why I'd reached out to uh, Panda and I've reached out to several other doctors, which I'm excited to engage in dialogue with. Because now I could say, well, I am speaking and conversing with doctors and scientists and professors that do tackle this field. And this is immensely important. And this is why I've been sort of campaigning or crusading, dare I say, to, to kind of have these, these conversations, right? So mm. that's my stance. I'm just an everyday dude that plays a few chords of guitars that just <laughs> believes in the search for truth. And that's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so you're- it's so important what you're doing because, you know, one of the effects of the incredible levels of censorship that are around right now, and, and this is something that I think ordinary people don't have a, an appreciation for, is the degree of censorship that's going on. Um, in those conditions, it's actually quite hard to connect always to, to people. You know, I'm sure um, we, we, in normal times, uh, would have connected uh, more readily because we would have seen each other. Our, our, our social media activities wouldn't have been suppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for example, we, we did a video, uh, a presentation going through the whole bogus COVID narrative, linking to all the source materials, you know, showing the research. It's a 25 minute, um, video went out on YouTube. It was, it went viral, half a million views in a couple of days and then was being viewed still on an, an, at an accelerating rate, 12,000 views per hour, when YouTube took it down for no reason. There had been no complaints from anybody, and there still haven't been a million views later. Uh, there still haven't been any complaints about the factual content of that presentation. It's accurate. Yep. And that was pulled down. People are not allowed to see that because it conflicts with the false narrative. And so under those conditions, people who play a role like you, Michael, who are, who are connecting uh, people to each other, I think that's super important. Um, and we've got to do more of it. We've got to, we've got to get, get the word out and, and, uh, defeat. Yes. Really sinister agenda mm. of suppressing legitimate dissent. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, you know, something I've said often to people throughout this thing, because there have been so many appeals to authority and, mm. uh, you know, where this whole idea that you need a medical degree to think. Right. Just just to observe, just to do basic, mm. logical, rational, <clears throat> critical thinking, which you don't. You know, I don't need to be you don't need to be a meteorolo- meteorologist to mm. tell me that it's raining. OK, if you say, hey, Zuby, it's it's going to rain tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, who are you? Like, you know, what's what's where's your meteor meteorology degree? Right. Or, you know, do you have a geography degree? It's like, no, you just it can be raining right now and you can see it. You don't. There are so many holes in the narrative, so many holes in the story, so many stupid rules, dumb laws that make no sense. Literally dozens of them. I'm not just talking about one silly rule in one country. All of these countries, so many of the rules, the regulations, think it doesn't make sense. And then you've got all the goalposts shifting. You've got the fact that they literally, I mean, if we're going to take some very basic contradictions, I mean, they literally came out and said this time, around this time last year, maybe a few months earlier, they said, you know, masks don't work. If you're not sick, there's no point in wearing a mask. That's actually when I think they were telling the truth, right? When they said, mm-hmm. don't, you know, 
you don't don't buy you don't need to wear the mask and then suddenly by summer it was oh no you you have to wear a mask and then it became you know they started even pushing for people to wear two and then even after the vaccines came out and people were getting them and they're still saying okay i've been vaccinated do i still need to keep wearing and they're saying yes you can you can still catch it you can still spread it keep wearing it keep socially distancing so on and so forth which is also a really terrible message if you actually want people to get the shots by the way but there have been so many things, these silly rules in restaurants, you walk in, you're supposed to wear, wear oh, a mask yeah. as you enter, and then you're supposed to, uh, you know, take it off when you sit down. Before, if you've been on a plane, you, you socially distance while lining up to get on the plane or in the airport, and then you get in and everyone's right next <laughs> to each other. There are just so many silly rules. Yeah. I mean, someone was telling me in, was it in, in Ohio where their, their, their son is high, in high school wrestling and they have the whole wrestling match and then they're not allowed to shake hands after. Um, I watched my niece play a football <laughs> match, right? They, they split the game instead of the game being in two halves. They split it into four quarters. Why? Because of the Rona, right? Like makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. You've got people well, walking around on it's, beaches, it's like empty when, beaches with masks yeah. on. Yeah. It's like when it's raining outside to wear two rain jackets, right? It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're so my, fav- my favorite one was Dr. Tam, who came on from Canada. Yeah. She, oh, she, she says, you know, people when they when they're getting it on together, that's all good, but not a lot of kiss. <laughs> I was thinking about bringing that up in conversation. Did you? I don't know how to say this on on a podcast. Did you see the the device um, with the hole in the center to which people, if they want to engage in certain recreations, to use this oh, like a device? When brilliant. We were entering this sort of, I think those were the questions. We were now entering this sort of field of insanity. And again, I'm a simpleton. What do I know? But I'm like, are they really suggesting to use this device when two <laughs> people are engaging in, rom- in a romantic endeavor? Like, to be safe? I, I It's comical. Like, you almost think it's a joke. You yeah. Know? It is a joke. I mean, well, I, look, I mean, one of the things that might happen here, the long-term solution to all our problems might be that all of these people who are so terrified and and have lost their minds and are no longer able to think are going to breed themselves out of existence or fail to breed themselves into existence. I mean, when you look at these, imagine how many germaphobes we've created in the last year. How many people who are now going to be just too terrified ever to kiss a guy or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's just the fear, the fear factor yeah. has just been incredible. And I, you're stunted. I think it's a disbelief. You get you get stunted by what's going on, and you don't even know how to respond. Which I think I was in that sort of, you know, that world a little bit. I didn't know what to say, how to say, it, because everyone was so overtly sensitive to anything I was saying. It was almost becoming like like a religion in a weird way. Yeah, you know? cult, cult, or, or cult. cult, perhaps. It's also the uh, it's also the false binaries that have been created, right? Mm. You know, they say. Tyranny is the deliberate removal of nuance. And that's really happened, right? It's if I don't think that there should be a mask mandate, right? And people should be literally free to wear one if they want and free not to if they don't want. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm anti-mask, right? Same with mm. the vax. If I think, yeah, people should just like literally every other vaccine, I've always said, yeah, if someone wants it or needs it, of course they should be allowed to have it. Should you, should it be forced upon you? No, absolutely not, right? And everyone pretty much used to agree with me on that until five minutes ago. And now that, now, now that's anti-vax, right? Mm. If you don't support the lockdowns, it's because you want grandma to die. You want everybody to die. You're selfish. You hate everybody. You want, right? And people, this, this is that emotional, emotional response all the time. And I, you know, I'm blessed maybe to not be a very emotional person, 
But for someone like me, it's just it's just maddening because you're trying to have a, a genuine rational conversation with some people. And it's literally impossible because it's like the fear and the social pressure and the media brainwashing, etc. has literally shut down their cognitive faculties. They can no longer think clearly, logically, rationally, and everything, everything triggers them. You want, they want, they don't want good news. You tell them some good positive news from, okay, you know what? The virus is nowhere near as deadly as they initially thought it was. Or, you know, it's what? As if actually, they want to remain scared. Yes, they really want that. You know, you tell mm. people that, hey, this thing doesn't kill kids, which is mm. amazing news, right. right? Imagine how this would have been awful mm. if this had just been taking out children all over the mm -hmm. world. That would have been terrible, right? And that's great. But people are like, oh, no, no, we still need to, you know, vaccinate the kids and separate them, keep them out of school or segregate them and put them, make them wear masks and put up plexiglass shields in schools. And, and I'm just like, what on earth is going on? You cannot even, you can't even make an argument that that is for the protection of children. And to me, this has been one of the most frustrating things is the way that kids, right? Kids have been forced to okay. sacrifice because the adults are scared. Right, but let me. Can I frighten you for a second, there? Please do. I, I mentioned that we produce quite a lot of information, uh, quite a lot of analytic tools ourselves that are not available to other people. I'll give you a good example. We have gone through all of the press releases of the World Health Organization and done word counts of them, tracking things like their positivity or negativity. And one of the strongest relationships we saw was whenever they start talking about vaccines, they start talking about children. And it's like an, a, a complete overlay. So, you know, they, they, don't, they haven't spoken about vaccines for the whole year. There have been peaks where they really ramp home the, the vaccine narrative. And whenever that vaccine narrative is ramped up, the narrative starts about children. They start talking about children. Now, that is a deliberate manipulation. They're trying to persuade the world that these children who are not at risk of the disease and who have nothing to gain from being vaccinated or to be vaccinated. It's creepy. It's creepy yeah. as all hell. Very and you know what they hardly ever mention in their press releases compared to children? They mention children about a hundred times more often than they mention the elderly and the vulnerable, the people who actually are at risk. They don't talk about them. That there's this unbelievable, relentless focus on children, and there is no word for it. Other, maybe, maybe worse, maybe worse than sinister, just downright evil, mm. to be deploying that kind of manipulation against a population. And that is why, you know, people are almost neurolinguistically programmed by this stuff. It's, you know, because what happens is the, the press release from the World Health Organization then becomes amplified in media and in social media. And there's this relentless bombardment of these of people who are afraid with this messaging, the children, the children, the children. And so they take these crazy actions, which they're not going to be able to explain to themselves in two or three years' time. You know, mm. They're not going to be able to explain why they put masks on kids, why they made them social distance, why they kept them out of schools, why they, fill, why they filled their heads with fear about being granny killers. You know, what a terrible thing to do to a child. And these unbelievably evil acts against children have been – it's not an accident. It's not some natural process. This is a deliberately engaged process, and you can see it 
in the press releases when you analyze them properly of the World Health Organization itself. That's what I mean by doing data analysis. And that's a very bitter pill for a lot of people to swallow. So with that said, I mean, what do you think is the motive here? I always say, people always ask me this question, why? What's the motive? What's the drive? I say to them, before you start thinking about that, take a step back and see the ideological picture. There's a, a massively ascendant ideology around the question of authoritarian centralism. And you, this is not a recent phenomenon. Since the, um, the sustainable development goals of the United Nations were written up, a whole series of multinational organizations have been on the constant drumbeat of the only solution to those problems being centralized global government, world government. And this is not a new story. Every couple of generations, the story of the, the supposed wonders of the centralized state comes to the fore. It comes to the fore in the form of the Soviet Union, Stalinist Russia. It comes to the form, fore in the form of Maoist China or of Hitler's Germany. These are all the centralizing impulses. And this is the centralizing impulse of our era. And if you, if you read any books at all about the history of the world, the one thing you know for sure that you don't need explained to you is that centralization is deadly. It always kills growth and knowledge creation. And what we've got on our hands is a bunch of lunatics, as, you know, as was the case during the Russian Revolution, who are absolutely convinced that there are a whole series of problems out there that have to be solved now. And the stupid Muppets, the men and the men and women in the streets are completely incapable. They will only make things worse if we leave them up to their own devices. We have to solve this by gathering power at the center of the world and enforcing upon the world things like lockdowns. And that's the ideological gap. And you see it emerging. If you, you just, I would encourage people to just go and browse the World Economic Forum website to, to see the little shop of horrors that is on show there. All, it's just fear, fear, fear. One problem after the next. It's climate change. It's systemic racism. It's the gender pay gap. It's pandemics. It's topsoil erosion. It's water shortages. It's, you know, and people need to remember that this has been coming out of their mouths in various guises for a long time. If you're, if you're in my generation, you'll remember acid rain. Well, that's just kind of, you know. Um, All in the ozone layer, acid rain. Yes. So they create these non-problems and make them very large in the public and public's imagination. And then guess what? The only solutions to these non-problems is a centralized solution. And so that's the backdrop. We've got an ideological gap between people like them and people like me, and I hope you. I think one thing that this has really revealed is the number of closet authoritarians that have been walking amongst us our entire lives. Not just talking about people in politics or people in the media, but also just everyday citizens. Um, the darkest part of this whole thing is now I totally understand how all those regimes in the 20th century, I now understand totally how they happened, right? I always understood yeah. them partially, but this is the first time where I have seen on a mass scale 
what happens when fear and hysteria kicks in, when people are, you know, intentionally propagandized, literally propagandized, not using that word um, as a, you know, any kind of hyperbole. I mean, you can go back to March 2020 and you can see here in the UK documents from the, on the government's website. They're still over there, right there, um, literally talking about various tactics of how they can use the media and various psychological tactics to increase fear in the population. And there's literally a table showing various methods and tools that they can use, giving a little summary of what they think its effectiveness will be and how much pushback there will be against it. This is right there in front of our faces. You were mentioning the WEF. You can go right there on their website. They've got, you know, the great, the great reset. You tell people, oh, the great reset, build back better. Like, oh, so you're, this is conspiracy theories. Conspir-. I'm like, bro, it's on their website. They're talking about it. You can go and, is that why is everyone suddenly saying build back better right was that a phrase people yeah. were you know <laughs> where people we were using before that. it's build so obviously co- yeah it's so obviously yeah. coordinated where you've got the all these different politicians all over the world it's so clearly coordinated and that is the part that freaks me out even more one question yeah, yeah. yeah. okay no go ahead go ahead first I was, I was gonna ask whether i could pull on that conspiracy theory thread for a little bit because i Please think do. it's a particularly good time to do so in, in recent weeks, there have been two things that used to be called conspiracy theories, which are now suddenly not. Uh, the first one was a smaller one, which most people didn't notice. But when we first noticed that neither lockdowns were ma- nor masks were working, you know, that there was no evidence of success in the data, we actually proposed that maybe the theory of how the disease transmitted was wrong. Because the World Health Organization was trying to persuade everybody that they transmitted by droplets and fomites. And that's where your two-meter rule came from and where mask wearing came from and the idea of lockdowns, really, in a, in a certain way. And we said, maybe maybe it's not transmitting like that. Maybe it's transmitted by airborne aerosol particles that stay aloft. They don't fall to the ground like a droplet. Um, and people called us conspiracy theorists, theorists because obviously the world, no, it's not possible that all these scientists could be wrong. You know, why would they all be wrong about the same thing? Um, and so that called, that was the first time I was called a conspiracy theorist was when on a, a, a podcast, I said, maybe the transmission theory is wrong. Maybe it's aerosol. Mm. So suddenly that is now the accepted wisdom that there is actually aerosol transmission as there is with all other respiratory viruses, by the way. So it's not too surprising. Then, of course, comes along the Fauci emails. And it turns out that he's lying all the time. That he knew very well that there was a likelihood of, you know, some degree that this thing came out of a lab. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing. Now that one, we turned the volume on that one right down because the, the noise you got, if you even ventured in that direction to propose that this was a lab leak, whether deliberate or accidental, the noise was just off the charts and we were there fighting lockdown. We didn't really care where the thing came from. The question of relevance to us was what is the response, you know? And now, so you don't even have to be a data analyst. You don't have to be a scientist or a doctor to notice that something that was called a, a conspiracy theory last month is now the truth, is now the fact of the matter. We see and that, that yeah. they've been lying. <laughs> yeah, and ent- sort of entering a stage of them backpedaling is what I'm seeing. Yeah. They're, 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 <laughs> are bad, and then they backpedal and go, well, what we really meant was such and such. And I'm seeing that in the language now being delivered through uh, through media and such. Yeah, of course, you know, conspiracy theorists are just people who are, you know, 
six months plus ahead of the curve. <laughs> right. You know? so that, that's, that's literally all it is. Every single so-called conspiracy theory that I've brought up over the past 14, 15 months has suddenly, you know, manifested. Some of them have even trended on Twitter, right? You know, I was talking about vaccine passports last year and saying that they're trying to push this through. And I even found a document on the European Commission website from September 2019 talking about their plans to roll out vaccine passports. Ooh, lo and behold, they've signed the bill two days ago from us recording this. And they're going to bring those in on the 1st of July. Oh, I thought that was a conspiracy theory. Right. Don't um, you want to be wrong? <laughs> that's yeah, the craziest thing. I, I've really yeah. been wanting to be wrong. And how many times I've been right in the face of extreme backlash right. and ridicule and name calling. I mean, I, I last year, people were literally saying that I'm responsible for deaths, right? Yeah. Like that I, yeah, my, my, tweets, my tweets are killing people, right? What I'm yeah. saying is, uh, you know, I've got people. It, the whole thing has just been... It's been crazy. I've just never, I've just never witnessed something like this on this scale. And with that said, why do you think it is that there were a couple small pockets of places? I'm thinking and specifically in Europe, uh, Sweden, and I believe Belarus actually. And then in the USA, places like Florida, um, Texas to an extent, Arizona, um, South Dakota, Georgia. Why were there a couple places which resisted this? Because if you were to ask me, if someone play, was going to tell me about the scenario and say, hey, which which country in Europe do you think will have the most sane and rational response to this and the least authoritarian? I would not have said Sweden, to be honest. Yeah. With you. I would have yeah. thought that, you know, that's a very high tax country, more socialist leaning, more sort of the greater good, so on and so forth. And so I would not have predicted that, okay, you know, the UK will go bonkers and, you know, Spain, Portugal, Italy, all of them will go bonkers. And Sweden is going to be the one that doesn't do the lockdown. Great question. I'm keen to hear what Michael's thoughts are. Well, no, I actually had family in Italy. So when this had first unfolded, to be quite, to be quite frank, I actually was quite concerned. I, I was mm -hmm. really adhering to all the advice that was being given. Um, I was very concerned about my family in Italy because they were just devastated by this spread of COVID. Um, but we didn't understand anything. I just know there were tens of thousands of bodies being, unfortunately, they had to be held in their homes. I think trucks could even um, reach the bodies in time to actually bury them properly. You know, and, and death for any country, but I know in Italian culture, when someone passes away in your family, it, it, it's quite dire. That experience, when that had, as time had passed, I was reaching out to my family and they began to converse how we're conversing. They were questioning. So you're talking about you know, the country that was among the most devastated by COVID, and they were almost among the first to start questioning, is this becoming too political? We don't trust what our government is saying. Why can't we mm -hmm. see our family? Why can't we bury our loved ones? But yeah, so I mean, even they, I mean, just the conversation was they, they didn't feel it was adding up. And I thought that was a very interesting response. I thought, well, you guys were the ones being hit so hard by it. You would have thought they would have been a lot more uh, sensitive and more, uh, hey, yeah, you know, everyone lockdown, wear the mask, you know, yeah. they say, whereas in, in Canada, where I think we've been devastated nearly as much, numerically speaking, um, we were a lot more, we just obeyed. Everything was mm -hmm. complied. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. No problem. Yeah. Don't, don't question it. Don't ask. Don't challenge. Um, and again, the reason why I connected with Panda was when I was trying to, I, I had doctors and scientists and nurses talk to me privately saying, we can't really talk about it. We can't really discuss it. I said, why is that? They go, 
ah, we could lose our job, my placement, you know, it's, and I'm like, that's not right. That, that yeah. seems to, you know, to ring wrongfully in my ears that you, you cannot have that debate. I mean, what, like this, this felt wrong. Yes. Anyway, so that was sort of my experience and, uh, anyways, God bless it. I hope you guys are doing well. I have, we haven't analyzed that question in a, any kind of data-driven fashion, but I, I think the answer has something to do with the extent to which the society is gripped by identity politics and critical theory, okay. which have been hugely emergent all around the world. Now, think about places like Texas and Florida mm-hmm. and Tanzania was another example for a while. South Dakota. That's not where this stuff has really taken its, it's uh, taken a hold, you know. Places like Canada and the United Kingdom and California. That's where this, these ideas are hugely, hugely prevalent. And I think that kind of culture is very closely related to the culture that has the drive to authoritarianism because it's a, it's a culture that doesn't really Try to attach to reality. Everything's about subjective experience, your, your lived experience, as they call it. Yes. And so you're not held to account to, to, to show anything in relation to the real world. And the way they resolve problems is not by reference to reality, but by reference to power structures. They shout and whoever shouts loudest wins. <laughs> it's an interesting theory. Um, but then I'm also thinking, I mean, some of the harshest lockdowns in Europe have been in places like Slovakia, um, which is, I don't think those things have penetrated yeah. Slovakia at all. Um, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I, and mm. so, so it's sort of interesting. The, the, there doesn't, that's why it's curious to me because there doesn't seem to be an obvious, yeah, there isn't really an obvious pattern in terms yeah. of what I'm seeing. You know, and Sweden and Texas are very, very different. Um, yeah, and in, I, I think Sweden, Sweden had one unique feature going for it, and that was there was there was no legal framework by which this uh, a lockdown could be implemented. You know, they had strict traditions of independence of the healthcare services from government, mm. um, almost like the judiciary is independent from the executive in most in most countries. So th- they had that situation, and I mean, I think somebody has to recognize the terrific role played by Anders Tegnell in in all of that. In the same way, I think that it's fair to recognize the leadership shown by Noam and Abbott and DeSantis. Um, you know, the, the, the leader does count. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the answers are likely to be multivariate. Lots of different reasons in different places for why you went the crazy route or why you did something sensible in the few places. I mean, Japan's another one. That's interesting. They stayed sensible. You know, now they're starting after their vaccination program begins and there's a, uh, suddenly a resurgence that they're facing. They're starting to show signs of panicking. But for most of the year, they, they were very cool, very calm. And they just said, we're not going to do any of those things. They even stopped testing. It's like they got bored with testing. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of testing, one thing that's fascinating to me and something that makes it very obvious to me that this is not simply about public health is you know, why are they not doing widespread antibody testing? Right? Exactly. You know, I've taken, I've had to take four of these freaking PCR and antigen tests in the past two weeks. Right? Yeah. I've already had the virus. You've had it. (laughs) Yeah, but, but that doesn't matter. I don't know if you guys have seen that in the UK now, they're trying to make the vaccines compulsory in the, for NHS workers and care home workers. That just came out yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. 
right? So I'm now getting messages because I've become this sort of lightning rod or magnet for people who want to speak up but don't really know where to go with it because people have seen me being so vocal about this for a long period of time. I'm sure you both get the same as well. You get, you know, emails, DMs, just from concerned citizens all over the world. I've recently been getting lots from people in the NHS saying, look, I've been working hard throughout this whole thing, right? This whole past year and a half, I've been working my butt off. I've been having to wear a mask every day for 12 hours, wearing PPE, etc. Now they're threatening to force me out of my job. I'm worried about losing my job now because I do not want to take this shot. Some some of these people have already got antibodies. That and political and societal pressure is what's dangerous. Insane. And I'm, I'm going to say this very clear, and I think Nick can echo this. We're not anti-vax. I don't think we see vaccines yeah. can be a great solution to curing uh, you know, smallpox and what has in the past. They're a great solution, but what's what's happening now is it's the principle behind the vaccine. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. You're you're, you're enforcing like you're, you're you're dangling this sort of thing over people's heads, saying if you do not take this, we will threaten your livelihood. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's unethical. That's it's wrong. It's, it's dark. dark and yeah. corrupt. And yeah. it's corrupt. And and I that is not the amount of pressure. Like health care means to care for those in health. I mean, people in that profession understand that, and, I, and I've heard doctors even state that they're like listen we want to help our patients not make them feel uncomfortable or if they're hesitant they'll have questions about something to to judge them or to call them out or make them feel bad like there's some sort of diseased vermin that needs to be eradicated this is not the language to be using for the public you know you want people to feel safe and protected and to know their lives will come back in order and and Mm -hmm. do the things they love doing Uh, i've been trying an interesting experiment uh, recently, and I don't know why it only occurred to me recently, but you know, there's a lot of information available now showing how uh, various um, committees and uh, and councils of government around the world were um, actually sitting there with their behavioral scientists trying to work out how to make people scared. Yes, and not not by trying to project anything that was true. They were actually sitting there discussing which falsehood to tell that would make the people the most scared. And you can see this happening in Ottawa with the nudge unit. You can see it happening in the UK with Spy B, ISAG in Ireland, um, the German panic papers. So there's several examples, and you can pull out the texts of those documents, and you can show them to people, and you say, you see, these guys were working out which lie to tell you, in order to make you scared. And then what I do is I challenge people and I say, would you not agree with me that any government, any leader who allowed this to happen on his or her watch is somebody who should be disqualified from any leadership role in any society? Because that is a fundamentally inhumane, evil thing to do. And people will readily agree with that proposition. Yes, scaring people deliberately by lying to them is bad. We all know that. Okay. And then you say to them, understand then that anything else that comes out of those people's mouths needs to be regarded as dangerous lying. So when they try to convince you that it's in your interests or in your children's interests to vaccinate the children against a disease they're not at risk to, with an experimental vaccine that has the highest 
adverse event ratio of any vaccine that's ever been known. Do you think they're doing that? Because they care about you. And that works. That works for a lot of people. And this is before even getting onto the fact that they suppress treatments. I mean, there's so many dark, there are so many dark things about this whole situation. I mean, do you know what's, do you know what's even insane is as we've been recording this whole video, right? Do you know what's in my head as well? What's that? I probably can't even post this on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know, like that is showing the level that things have gone to, right? We have not said anything on this, on this podcast that's, uh, you know, extreme or dangerous or hateful or whatever, right? Nobody's even said a swear word. But of all the videos and podcasts I've ever done, I'm thinking, wow, if I put this one on YouTube, there's a good chance that at at the minimum, they'll take it down. At worst, you know, they could give me a strike or something literally for not going along perfectly with the narrative and for having an open, honest discussion. And we've really just seen the death of liberalism and the scientific method largely from people who claim to be advocates uh, and proponents of these things right um i do think it is interesting like this is absolutely not an issue that should be politicized but it's very interesting that generally you know people who call themselves more liberal or progressive have been the ones supporting the most authoritarian and draconian measures. They are the ones trying to shut people down and cancel people for talking about different forms of treatments or questioning masks or questioning lockdowns, etc., and calling everyone else anti-science, everyone else anti-vaxxers, etc. And liberalism and science are both based on conversation and discussion and debate and talking about ideas. And as soon as those things are shut down, I mean, look, look we, we can look around the world. I mean, we're we're all... You know, if you live if you live in the West, one of the beacons of the West supposedly is that you do have free speech and that you can choose to believe what you want or what you don't, and you're not going to be punished or censored or imprisoned for going against a certain narrative. I myself, I grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Okay, so I've experienced lots of different cultures, and one of the big critic, one of the big criticisms people in the West have about Saudi Arabia or is the Islamic world is they say, hey, you know, people aren't free. There's, uh, you know, blasphemy laws. People can't talk about this. People can't do that. People can't, you know, people have to cover their faces in public. <laughs> um, and now all of a sudden we're here in the West and I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I've been calling it secular Sharia, which is sort of tongue in cheek, but, mm. you know, also uh, making a real point there. So it's so fascinating to me how science has, you know, we've gone from science to the science, which is basically an institution or a few individuals rather than a method of research and knowing. Mm. Um, and everyone who doesn't go along with the institution is labeled anti-science, right? Which is phenomenal. I mean, Anthony Fauci himself literally said that people who criticize him are criticizing science. I mean, I cannot yeah. think of a more, uh, that, to me, that was, that was like, that's it. Like that, you know, you're completely, yeah, you're completely <laughs> correct in the language that's being uttered. Every, everything is very much language here, like how they say it, how they deliver everything. And, and uh, you know, just, just, just to be very clear again with, with Nick and Panda as a whole, we welcome debate, you know, yeah, and really mm-hmm. in any field of ac- academics, but especially in the field of science, we want debate. We are inviting for debate. 
Yeah. Um, in, in the coming weeks and days, we're hoping to have dialogue with a bunch of different doctors and scientists and authors that touch upon this topic. And this is to converse about such things because everything is just going down one lane. You know, this is one dark tunnel, may I say. Like it's, it's, it's very dangerous, very dangerous speech. It is. Did you have something to say there, Nick? Well, I was going to say, look, I, I mean, I hope this doesn't get taken down. Uh, if you need to cut something, please do. Because I think these messages need to, to get out, you know. Um, and yes, I agree with you. It, it's become, it's become very problematic. I mean, one of my friends has been given three strikes on Twitter, uh, or three suspensions on Twitter simply for posting without comment, refereed published journal articles. Yep. You know, it's, so this it's, is something that. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. Another one, a guy who was on a podcast with last night came on as an expert. He's one of the guys who was like, played a seminal role in the, um, in the invention of the mRNA vaccines, the mRNA technology. He was suspended from Twitter when he came on to say to people, listen, this business of spike protein shedding by vaccinated people is theoretically possible. But it's unlikely to be a source of clinical concern. He got suspended from Twitter for saying that it was theoretically possible. This is an expert in the field trying to calm everybody the hell down. You know, he gets suspended. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's very, very chilling. I mean, and it's weird because this is something that was happening prior to any pandemic, right? You know, people yeah. were already worried about censorship, deplatforming, cancel culture, attacks on free speech, not being able to say that you voted for Trump, not being able to say that you hold this view or you voted for Brexit, worrying about this and that. Like it's been rising up and creeping into society for several years now. And it seems like it's really come to a head now. Like we're now seeing in, in a serious situation, not necessarily the end point, but a much further point of what happens when you start to censor people and squash dissent and prevent people from talking and prevent even doctors and scientists. Like even if, you know, I'm a rapper, even if you're like, oh, well, Zuby's just a rapper or, you know, Michael's just a, you know, a musician, you know, whatever. Right? Even the people who are the real experts, people who have dedicated decades of their lives to studying this stuff, even if they do not have the right narrative, they're getting shut down. I'm getting messages from NHS workers saying, this is my position and a lot of my colleagues agree with me, but you know, everyone is too scared. Everyone is scared. It's fear, fear, fear. And this is not fear of the virus. This is not fear, of, fear of the authorities. Yeah. It's fear of the authorities and it's fear of your fellow neighbors and citizens, et cetera. And again, as we know, historically, like that's just, it's a really dangerous and concerning precedent. And also when you're shutting down these conversations, Especially with something like this, which is a, you know, the, the phenomenon that we're going through is certainly new. And so people are going to get things wrong. You know, people are going to get things right. People are going to get things wrong. But, you know, that person who everyone thinks is crazy because they're promoting a certain treatment, right? Um, they could have the right idea, right? They, they could be the person who is right just because 70% of people believe one thing and, you know, only 30% believe this or 90 and 10. It doesn't mean the 90% are right. 
You know, it doesn't yeah. mean the 90% are always right. It could be that, that person out there at 10% where it's like, Oh, actually, let's, let's listen to what this person is saying. Let's take this on board. Maybe let's test it out. And you might be like, Oh my gosh, like that actually, that, that was correct. Um, and then because of the politicization, because so many people disliked Donald Trump, say in the USA, right? When he started talking about certain things, uh, I know he talked about, what was it? Hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Mm. Is that, am I saying it correctly? And yeah. he was saying that, you know, I think this is, this is a year ago. And he is saying that this were, and then a week later, papers are coming out saying, Oh, actually, this, uh, could significantly reduce the mortality rate. And then, of course, you've got, you know, the drug that cannot be named ivermectin, which again has been shown now. It, well, it, let, let me speak, let me speak carefully. It appears that both as a prophylactic and as an actual treatment, it has a very high success rate and it's very cheap and it's very widely available, et cetera. But doctors have not been allowed to prescribe it. People are being threatened to having their medical licenses revoked. Videos are being pulled down on YouTube. Things are being censored on Twitter and Facebook from people who talk about it. I mean, you want to talk about someone killing grandma. Let's talk about the people who are literally suppressing potential treatments. I mean, I, I don't think there's anywhere. Perhaps there's not enough knowledge of this yet, but there's certainly not enough outrage. I mean, the well, outrage is going in the wrong yeah, directions here. I, we, I don't know if you've. Uh, become aware of this that I, I only learned it today. You know, the, of the 3,000 emails uh, or whatever it is that people are trawling through, the, the, people keep on finding things, but they, 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 and they also link them together and work out what conversation relates to which conversation and who the people are and so on. And they're starting to piece together the jigsaw puzzle. But one of the things that emerged was really early on, like in March last year, <clears throat> Fauci was informed that the Chinese were having success with treating uh, COVID patients with uh, hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> it's un it's truly unbelievable. I mean, I yeah. want to I want to laugh, but no, I do. This this has yeah. killed. I mean, there are so many people who did actually you know die with this virus who <clears throat> could who could have been saved, and <clears throat> people like myself and yourselves are the ones that people want to point the finger at and say, oh, you know, it's because you, you're you not you're not wearing a mask or whatever, which is we know is complete nonsense. Whereas people who have done what is as far as I'm concerned, I mean, if they knew about this and intentionally suppressed it, that's criminal, man. I'm ready for Nuremberg trials 2.0 because that <laughs> is that no gen genuinely, right? If, you, <laughs> right, right? if you know for a fact, if say, say, you know, right, if you are a public health official mm. and you know that there is a drug that there's availability for and say it has like, you know, a, even if, even if it were 50%, but you know, 50% plus chance, even a 20% chance of helping people and it's safe. And you know that this can actually save lives. And because of whatever financial or control or power agenda you have, you decide to suppress that you are, you are directly responsible for the loss of thousands of lives and i'm not being again i'm not being hyperbolic yeah. you are directly responsible for that yeah, by, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's negligence right yeah. you didn't directly kill them but if someone mm. is dying and you can help them and you choose mm. not to because you want to sell that. some vaccines yeah it's, well, it's, it's awful yeah right from the, and, beginning, the origin of this whole outbreak is amazing because it all started with lies i mean you know what they did i thought was actually quite clever in their end they made it so you could blame the pub public you find the enemy within yeah. the public. Right? Yes, yes. I thought that was brilliant on their part because what did we do? We didn't blame, um, you know, when the origin came to Wuhan. What did we do? We did not blame the government behind it or, or the mm -hmm. fact that it was a lab label. You question that. 
we thought it was the Chinese public and their lifestyle, and we had this sort of, you know, judgment toward them. And, and and I thought that was yeah, they ate too much bat soup. You know, that yeah. was you're right. And <laughs> there, I like okay, I've been to China. That trust me, that was not a a common intake of their you know of their food. And, <laughs> you know, so it's you, you again, you get stunned. You go, well, I've been to China. I should know better. I that wasn't they eat chicken and fish, and I was. I was in Shanghai, and there's, I think, 30 million people within Metropolitan, a very high populace, and they're lovely people. And what they did, at least in the realm of media, was blame the public, and they're blaming the public. And they continue to do so. Yes. You know, if you don't wear the mask, mm-hmm. you're killing grandma. If you don't mm-hmm. do this, you're you're affecting loved ones or my loved ones. And and I thought that was very, I was I was perverse in the language, anyways. Yeah. Zuby, can I pick up on one thing you said there? I was just finding it so interesting. You, 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 it was a throwaway line. You said, I don't want to laugh. I actually have gotten to the point now where I think the laughter is essential. Ridicule. Laughing at the situation. And a good way to go about it is to play the game of putting yourself five years in the future and trying to tell the story to, to somebody who kind of missed what was going on, right? And the story starts with, there was this head of the World Health Organization. He was a lifelong Marxist who was responsible for cover-ups of, covers up of large-scale atrocities in his home country, who was installed to the position by a dictator, head of the Chinese Communist Party, and a creepy tech billionaire with a large investment position in vaccinations. And he said, <laughs> you know, that's how the story starts. And you can only laugh when you tell the story to yourself in those words. Um, and what did he tell you to do? No, he told you to wear cloth masks to protect yourself against the virus. And when people started doing that, they thought they could go one better. What? Wear two masks. Mm-hmm. The story gets sillier and sillier when you, when you play it back to somebody, when you're trying to explain, I don't know, to a Martian who's come to visit mm-hmm. or to your grandchildren who weren't around for this story. You can only tell it in ridiculous ways. There are no sensible ways to tell the story. And we've got to tap that vein of humor and ridicule because I, my belief is that it's the only thing that will be effective in reaching people who are scared witless, yes. who didn't have the courage that you had to keep their heads and to see things for what they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've been using plenty of humor. It's just the, the part that makes me mad is just when I think of the suppression, yeah. the suppression of treatments, which directly led to people dying. Yeah. In terms of the rules and the regulations and people's bizarre behavior, I've been making fun of that all the way yeah, through. Well, well um, make no mistake, lockdowns will yeah. cause more deaths Agreed. than the, the, the treatment story. Yeah, That's by agreed. far the bigger story because in countries like, you know, in, in the third world, in, in countries like South Africa even, there isn't a social safety and welfare net Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get, if you lose your job, get told you're not allowed to do your job. That's it. You're you're in serious trouble. And there's a strong relationship between mortality rates and poverty. And when you shove 200 million people into poverty, as we have done in the, in the over the course of the last year, that has very serious consequences. And those consequences, I, I agree with you. The suppression of treatments was a great evil, mm-hmm. but the lockdowns were a, a greater evil by a factor of 10, you know, 
this is going to be the really consequential event in terms of years of life lost. It'll be the lockdown. Yeah. Man, where can people find out more of your work? www.pandata.org is our website and you can access everything there for your, for your viewers and listeners who have not yet listened to the video that I mentioned earlier. It's 25 minutes. Go and do it. It's the, it's, it's presented on top of the front page of our website. You can't miss it. The ugly truth about the COVID-19 lockdowns. Awesome. I'll make sure I put that in the links in the description. Thank you. Last one, guys. Nick Hudson, Michael Cavallo, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to speak to you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Zuby. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.